Okay, please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, and this is week number two of our 14-day London outreach. And from Acts chapter 19, I want to look at some verses this morning. But before I get to Acts chapter 19, just to recap what we've been able to do over the last several days. Every morning we start at 7 a.m. outside a local train station. And we're there for a couple of hours, giving out tracks, of course, and trying to speak to people heading off to work or going about their everyday business. We come back, have our breakfast, and we have a Bible study like we are this morning. After the Bible study, we head off for the day and get the banner up and speak to many people. Come home late afternoon, have some food, discuss what we've been up to, and then off we go letterboxing in the evening to get more tracks out. This has been a very ambitious outreach, two weeks eight people, day and night, working the streets of London, simply to get the word of God out, simply to present Jesus Christ to the world. And we pray when we leave London next week, London will be in a better place than we found it. Acts 19, take a look, if you will, at verse 1. And it came to pass that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether it be any Holy Ghost. This piece of scripture gets cited by our charismatic friends and Pentecostal friends to suggest that we need a second blessing. Apparently our initial blessing, our initial baptism of the Holy Ghost isn't enough. We need to be baptized again. And they normally go to this piece of scripture to say to get that belief. But it says how it came to pass while Apollos was at Corinth. Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, and that's where they get slightly confused with the term disciples, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now, if you're a saved person and somebody was coming to you in the streets and say, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? You'd be somewhat puzzled. What they're really saying to you is, do you speak in tongues? Can you prophesy? Can you cast out devils? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost which suggests to me that such people were not even saved, not even Christians. But Apollos 19.1 was referenced several times from chapter 18. And from chapter 18, we read about this man, Apollos, who was mighty in the scriptures, instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in the spirit, spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And therefore we get a picture of Apollos and co being found in chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. This group of disciples are probably John the Baptist's crew. They probably came to John, Matthew 3, Luke 3, were baptized by John, were told that the Messiah was on his way to get ready for the Messiah's arrival, and off they went. And uh, here they are found in Ephesus, being modern-day Turkey. They're not Christians. They haven't yet been born again. Hence why Paul says to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? You wouldn't dare or even consider asking such a question to somebody who was saved. And their response from uh, verse 3 is interesting. But before we get to verse 4, look at verse 3. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? We haven't heard if there is a Holy Ghost. So what were you baptized unto? John's baptism. Okay, back to Matthew 3 again. Matthew chapter 4. It is possible also that this group of individuals were Jews. Timothy was a half-Jew, his mother was a Jew, his father was a Greek. So I won't rule out the fact that this group 
of, of individuals, disciples, may have been Jews, but somewhat ignorant of Jewry. But I'm going to stick with my initial feeling that they were probably Gentiles. They got baptized by John the Baptist. Either way, they are somehow affiliated with Apollos. And even Apollos, 24, 25 in chapter 8, 26, wasn't born again until Aquila and Priscilla took him under their wing and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly, which is what John wasn't able to do. John's ministry was to present people with a coming Messiah, to get people ready for his arrival, not to get people saved, because water puts you into water, but the Holy Ghost puts you in the body of Christ. Four. Then said Paul, John very baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. That's almost what we do. We point people to the Saviour. We tell people that they need to be born again. And John's baptism of repentance is simply to prepare people for the coming Messiah. You can't take these verses and get the second blessing. Five. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. To be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus means to be baptized with the authority of the Lord Jesus. And yet, I won't rule out this being cross-referenced back to Acts chapter 2 from the day of Pentecost when Peter gets up and uses the keys of the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of God. And uh, from 2.38, Peter says to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Same sort of language. For the mission of sins, and Jesus received the gift of the Holy Ghost, which of course was everlasting life. So I don't rule out 19, 5 and 2.38 tying in together. Also, I should say that Acts 19.5 and Acts 2.38 are passages which the one is, uh, people like to use. To be baptised in the name singular of Jesus Christ. And yet, technically speaking, 2.38 and 19.5 are really concerning the uh, authority of Christ's baptism. With the authority of Jesus Christ, you can be baptised into the body of Christ. But I'll come back to that thought and further elaborate on that. Acts 19. Six, and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Paul would have to lay his hands literally on this group of individuals. Whereas in Acts 16, when the jailer got saved, no one laid hands on him whatsoever, and he got saved, and didn't speak in tongues. When the Ethiopian eunuch was given the gospel by Philip, no one laid hands on him, he didn't speak in tongues, he didn't prophesy, and off he went rejoicing in the Lord. Verse 7, and all the men were about 12. So we got 12 men, not women. They've spoken in tongues and have prophesied. Whereas the jailer didn't speak in tongues, nor did he prophesy, like the eunuch as well. So Acts 2, the apostles speak in tongues. Acts 10, Cornelius and Co. speak in tongues. Acts 19, this group of 12 men speak in tongues. It is possible, I'll say this again, that this is a group of Jewish men that were under John's leadership, perhaps, some of his disciples, and like Timothy, needed to be further schooled. On the other hand, it could be that such a group of people are Gentiles. But what I think gives it away is verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. So I think this, I think, reading these verses, I'm thinking this, that you've got quite possibly a group of Jews that have come to John to baptise. But the problem with that is the term we haven't even heard if there is a Holy Ghost. Every Jew knew that the Holy Ghost was the Holy Ghost. 
King David spoke about the Holy Ghost. All of the greats spoke about the Holy Ghost. So it's a tough passage to try and work out whether these are Jews or Gentiles. Either way, they are disciples, not yet Christians. On top of that, Paul, as I say, would have to lay his hands on them to receive the Holy Ghost. And yet, elsewhere in Scripture, when people came into contact with an apostle, no one had to lay hands on any of them in order to be saved. But I think the term, the reference to synagogue in verse 8, kind of gives it away. You've got Jews that have now been born again, that have received the Holy Ghost, which for them, Acts 2.38, involves speaking in tongues. And from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you may wish to turn there, verse 22, we're told what tongues are all about. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, that's you and I, but to them that believe not, historically the Jews, but prophesying, like reading the word of God, teaching the word of God, even giving light on top of the word of God, whilst the New Testament was being written, serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So I think what you've got here in Acts 19, at best, are a group of disciples that have gone off on their way, have met Paul, and because they're not yet saved, Paul has had to lay his hands on them to receive the Holy Ghost. And yet when I got saved 14 years ago, no one laid their hands on me to receive the Holy Ghost. I got down on my knees, and I called on the name of the Lord, I believed on him, and I was saved. And that's all it was. That's all it was necessary for me. But this group of men, going to a synagogue, Although Paul is mentioned in the singular verse 8, I think it's quite likely that this crowd of men were affiliated with this synagogue, and they go into synagogue, and they are speaking in tongues. Known languages, Acts chapter 2. But I'll say this, if we want to go down the route that this is a second blessing, okay, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, look at verse 29, please. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. You want to get a second blessing? Pray for that. Here's a picture of saved people. Okay, Jews, I grant you that. And they are very much enjoying their salvation, praying to the Lord. And they're going to get great boldness. Look at 31. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they're all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they speak the word of God with boldness. That's what we need more than anything. To speak the word of God with boldness. Doing street work is great. But I'll tell you something. I speak from experience. If you don't read the word of God. If you don't pray. And sometimes if you don't fast. You'll fall flat on your face. Because your flesh will take over. And when your flesh takes over. All sorts of problems occur. Just last week. I was doing some outreach work. And uh. This chap came over to me and he made a remark about the Lord and his word. And he used a somewhat unpleasant word to express his disgust. And for some reason, I responded with the same term. And that was probably done for two reasons. First of all, I was tired, probably hadn't spent enough time in prayer and maybe not enough time reading the word of God. That's my old nature. Like Paul, Acts 23, you whited wool, God will smite thee. And many times in the Gospels, even the Lord Jesus Christ, who was sinless, would retaliate with his tongue. But I'm looking at these verses this morning, trying to understand these verses, and trying to be gracious to our charismatic friends and say this, that the second blessing, okay, I grant you that a second blessing, if it concerns the filling with the Holy Ghost, 31, 
If it concerns speaking the word of God with boldness, okay, I grant you that. But the second baptism, or the baptism of the Holy Ghost, no. In fact, please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I just share these accounts with you all to show you that we're all fallible, and if we're not careful, we can err. Ephesians 4, 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. One faith, one Lord, one baptism. And that gets cited by the ecumenical crowd. But that baptism is not a water baptism. That is a spiritual baptism, which takes place the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So all I will say before I conclude this message is this, that... If you want to go to Acts 19 and read verses 1 down to 7 and put this on people today, the tongues that they receive are known languages, Acts chapter 2. And these known languages would need an interpreter, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Those that speak in tongues, Acts 19, are men, not women. Those that speak in tongues in Acts chapter 19 are probably affiliated to a local synagogue, verse 8. They're also somehow affiliated with Apollos from Acts 18.24. But if you've ever taken the time to read Acts the Apostles, you would have seen many times how different people come to Lord different ways. In fact, 18.8, there's a man called Crispus mentioned, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. No tongues, no one laying hands on them to receive the Holy Ghost, no prophesying. You see, you won't get more than three groups of people from Acts 10 and 19 that receive the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. In fact, in Acts chapter 10, whilst Peter was speaking to Cornelius and co, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spoke with tongues and they were proselytes. So even Acts 10 doesn't match with Acts 19. And in Acts chapter 2, the apostles are sitting in the upper room, not even aware that the Holy Ghost is going to come upon them. And they start to speak with tongues and they say to the apostles, they're drunk. I start to mock what the apostles are doing. And for memory, there are 12 languages found from Acts chapter 2. And Peter gets up and says, no, these men aren't drunk. This is a part fulfillment of what the apostle Joel told us would occur. What we need today is a great boldness. We need a second blessing in the sense of being filled with the Holy Ghost to go out onto the streets like we're doing in London throughout this month. Not to speak in tongues because tongues are not going to bring people to the Lord. If you were to speak in tongues in the streets, people would laugh in your face. In fact, we are told, are we not, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, 23, And therefore the whole church become together into one place, and all speak with tongues. And there come in those that are unlearned, or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? Of course they will. And I've seen these people with my own eyes. I've seen these people speaking in tongues. In fact, there was a chap called Derek Prince who did a seminar, I watched it online a few years ago, kind of an eerie video, and he was giving a study on Acts Apostles, interestingly enough, and he was actually showing people how to speak in tongues, and he said, what you need to do is, you need to stand like this, put your head back like that, roll, roll your eyes back, I'm absolutely telling you the truth, and you put your hands behind your back like this, and it wasn't quite like that, but he was trying to give you a crash course, as to how to speak in tongues. And he had about 200 people all speaking in tongues at the same time. 
And his eyes almost went back to the back of his head. It was eerie. And here Paul is telling you, if someone comes in to your fellowship and sees you're speaking in tongues, they're going to say, you are mad, insane, not to mention possibly filled with unclean spirits. In fact, Paul tells us at the, at the end of Acts, uh, excuse me, at the end of uh, 1 Corinthians, that if you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ, you are anathema, 22. And I take that to be in reference to the Corinthians being carnal, blabbering in tongues, and quite possibly cursing Christ whilst they were speaking in tongues. But it will prophesy. And the coming one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God. Not backwards, like you find in John 18, when he came to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ, enemies of the cross, this so-called holy laughter nonsense, and report that God is in you of a truth. That's what we need. And prophecy here is probably twofold. On the one hand, it's, I guess, offering additional light to what the apostles were receiving, progressive revelation, which also shows clearly that there wasn't one man calling all the shots. But also prophecy in the sense of reading the word of God, proclaiming the word of God. I mean, if you get a chance, look at uh, the epistle of Jude, lovely poetry in there. And yet you've got people today speaking in tongues, on television, on the radio, no one's interpreting, and it's absolutely madness, it's mayhem. In fact, 27. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, not woman, if any man, singular, speak in an unknown tongue, unknown to the recipients, unknown to its audience or their audience, let him keep silence in the church, button it, and let him speak to himself and to God. Praise the Lord in your heart. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let the prophet speak two or three, and let the other judge. 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Old Testament told you to be quiet. The New Testament told you to be quiet. Concerning tongues, not concerning praying or giving the Lord glory and thanks. But 27, if any man speak in an tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. That's the key. If you want to argue that tongues are for today, follow this piece of scripture. Men only, at least two, never more than three, and that by course, take it in turns, and let one interpret. And yet, as I understand the word of God, tongues died out, healings died out, prophecies died out. In fact, after you read Revelation, which will be my next book to look at after Acts of the Apostles, what more do you need to know? That book will blow you away if you take the time to read it. So I think we've had enough for today from Acts chapter 19. Uh, and also, tongues is the least gift found in Acts of the Apostles. Paul wanted people to be able to, to prophesy, to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Men, twelve, friends of Apollos, disciples of John the Baptist, they're probably Jews. That's my overall feeling of from this text this morning. They're probably Jews, might be Gentiles, we, we're not told either way. But what we can be sure of is that they're not saved. They weren't born again. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God.